This summer, we're going to be spending time on this whole idea of the city of God, um, prime real estate. And uh, we'll be, there's uh, two Sundays in uh, the summer when I won't be here, but others will be here. We look forward actually to Mario Perez, uh, our youth pastor here, is going to preach his first sermon ever. So uh, he's, uh, we're working with him. He's going to do some run-throughs, so you're not going to be the sacrificial lambs for him. Uh, and I hope you don't make him your sacrificial lamb. Uh, that uh, he's, he's excited and God has already uh, anointed him, I think, uh, with just a heart to serve you through that. And Brian uh, Vanderteig as well, one, a, a guy who's well known to many of you in this church. Uh, he, he'll be preaching one Sunday. But the rest of the time, we're going to be focusing on what the city of God is all about, how it shows up in the text of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, what it means, and how we think about it. And then in September... We are, if those of you who've been here for a number of years, remember a number of years back we did something called 90 Days Through the Bible. Uh, and that was a wonderful season in this church. We're going to do something uh, uh, the same but a little different. It's called Project 119. And for 119 days, we're going to be going through Scripture. We're going to engage with it a little differently than we did before. Um, there's going to be things that you hear about in the future, about ways that you can dig deeper and deeper into God's Word through that season and be a part of discussion groups and other things. Um, but that will run all the way from about the first week of September all the way through the first week of January. So these are things coming up here, things that God is already preparing us for. I want to encourage you um, to just discover how God is teaching you. Uh, The whole focus is about getting you as his people, getting me as a pastor here deeper into scripture, how we understand its power in our lives. That's, That's our whole desire here through this time of teaching. As we spend time this morning in Psalm 107, um, it's about halfway, you take your Bible, split it in two, and open it up, you're going to probably hit pretty close to the Psalms, maybe a little bit earlier than that. And uh, Psalm 107 is our text this morning, and uh, as we prepare to hear what God has to say, uh, say to us about his city, let's pray for his blessing and uh, movement during this time. Father, You are here, and we know that is true because you promised it, and you always keep your promises. We are gathered here together in your name, and Lord, may your presence have power. Presence, uh, may your presence move us to learn and grow and be transformed. May your presence comfort those of us who need comfort. May your presence encourage those who need encouragement. May your presence challenge those who need discipline. May it move to repentance those who are in sin. May you simply speak words of truth, your truth to our hearts. That in our learning, Lord, we don't go from this place the same, that we're different. Because we've met Jesus. And that has power. Power to make us different as we go into the world that we live in, our workplaces, our schools, and please let them be done soon. To our neighborhoods and to our families and our homes, Lord, we can go with your presence and bring your power. 
And when people look at us, they can see you. We pray that this is work that you do in us this morning because it is only you who can do it. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there's this thing called prime real estate. And prime real estate is important, or I won't say important, valuable property. Sort of property that is something you want. There are those in our congregation who are part of sort of the real estate industry. They buy and sell or they have rentals or different things that um, they, they're involved in through vocation or maybe just sort of on the side. Um, but when we talk about real estate, there's three very important words. Does anybody know those three very important words? Location, location, location. If you don't understand what those words mean, it's very simply this, that where a piece of property is so often determines its value. So for example, if you have a beach house about a block from the pier in Huntington Beach, California, you've got yourself a prime chunk of real estate. Though if it were like, let's say, even like a, 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 a 200 by 200 foot lot in that part of the world, you're talking about literally like well over a million dollars easily, if not maybe a couple, depending on what sort of house is on it. Now, if you took that same piece of property, the same amount of space, and you took it and you could cut it and lift it up and move it over to Podunk, Oklahoma and plop it down, it would probably be worth about one, maybe even one-fiftieth of it, it, what it is worth in Huntington Beach. Because you would end up in Podunk, Oklahoma. And no one wants to be in Podunk, Oklahoma, so there's no demand for your property. It's not prime. In Huntington Beach, it is, because so many people love going to the beach and hanging out at the beach and relaxing at the beach. That's why there's so much expense to buying a prime piece of real estate. But real estate can be prime for a number of different reasons, right? There are some people who do want to be close to the beach. But there are some people who love the idea of Podunk, Oklahoma, and that would be for them prime real estate that they would love to live on. There are some people for whom being close to a certain school that has high scores for their kids to go to is an important piece of real estate. There are some of you who like neighborhoods where you maybe have friends. Or maybe you are like everybody loves Raymond. You want one of those houses where mom lives across the street. God bless you if you do. For you, that is something that is attractive, and therefore that piece of property has more value. It's prime real estate. It's attractive. It's something you want. Now, when we talk about God's prime real estate, his city, I want you to understand that there's a couple different things going on even in that phrase, the city of God. Because the city of God in the Old Testament was an actual geographical city. And that was really how you always understood it. 
The city of God is the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an actual city. Some of you have been there. I've been there. Frankly, I'm not sure that I would consider it prime real estate today. However, in the Old Testament, God teaches his people about his city as his place of dwelling. It is his prime real estate, the place where he ultimately would send his people to go live out of their slavery in Egypt and ultimately establish the symbol and the actual place of his presence in Jerusalem, which was the temple, place where he dwelt. That's why Jerusalem has an important place in the understanding of Scripture. It is God's city. However, something happens. It's a pretty big thing. Christ comes and ultimately he is crucified. If you know the story of the crucifixion, you know that there is a key event that changes how God engages with his temple and then ultimately his city. And it's during the actual crucifixion event, the moment of Christ's death. There is an earthquake and then something happens. The curtain tears in two, right? Remember the story? And that tearing in two of the curtain of the temple, we see that as two messages to us, two understandings. How do we see that? Well, first of all, the first understanding, absolutely appropriate, biblical, and important for us to understand, is that the tearing of the temple curtain symbolizes that we now all have access to God. Instead of in the Old Testament times, the only person who could go in there was the high priest, and that only during certain times. Now, the temple curtain is open, and all of us, because of the work of Jesus, have access to God. But there's another symbol there in the tearing of the curtain. The temple curtain tears, and now Christ has access to us. Christ comes out in his presence into all believers. In fact, we understand that as the important pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we call that day Pentecost. Pentecost is when God comes out of the temple where his presence dwells and makes his indwelling where? In us, all of his people. Thus, Jerusalem today doesn't have that same distinction that it did in the Old Testament as the city of God where God dwells because God dwells where now? In his people. So when we talk about the city of God, we hear it with two ears. We hear it with an understanding of the city of God being Jerusalem in the Old Testament and still a special city for the future because ultimately when Christ comes again, what is going to happen? We're going to have a new Jerusalem. But we also hear then that the city of God is God's presence in us, his people. That's the ears with which we hear this series. Both the city of Jerusalem is the city of God, and we are his city, because he dwells in us. Now turn your Bibles to Psalm 107, and look here at some things that are important for you to understand this particular, excuse me, this particular song, Psalm. Psalm. 
There's something about structure that I have to talk about here. There's a couple of different things. I could use words like chiasm, which is an actual word, and it's in how you study exegetically the text. There's some poetic sort of shapes and forms in some of the words. Frankly, that, that's helpful for me to understand. I'm not sure it's helpful for me to explain to you. There's just some beauty in the shape and the form of how the text is arranged here. But what I can tell you is this. When you look at the text of any passage, especially a psalm, because a psalm is a poem to God, one thing is, there's many things that are important, but one thing in particular I want to highlight this morning is repetition. And if you look through Psalm 107, you're going to see certain phrases and words repeated. I want to highlight for you verse 8. Let's read verse 8 together, all right? If you have your Bibles open, we're going to read it together. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Verse 15, we'll read that together. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And verse 21, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Over and over and over again. Repetition. When you hear repetition, folks, in the text, I want your antenna to go off. I want you to go bing, 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 bing. That's not like you dying, all right? You don't have to pull out the paddles and go charge to 100. Listen. When there's stuff repeated, it's important. It highlights that this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving to God. It shows to us that clearly God is calling his people as they walk through the challenges of life to be people of thanksgiving and people of praise. Repetition is key. Now as we dig into the structure of the rest of the psalm, I want you to hear me here that there are, beginning at verse 4, Four different stories that God tells through the writer of the psalm that are important for us to hear as we think about where God dwells, what his city is. Let's begin with verse 4, and we'll read the first story. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry, they were thirsty. And their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Especially as we read that last line, we hear sort of the theme of this story. That there are these people who are hungry and they're thirsty. Verse 5 says it this way. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Now certainly as we read this psalm, we can understand that with a physical hunger and thirst. 
We can hear for us that people who are hungry and thirsty, certainly their strength does ebb away. That's not a good existence. Being hungry constantly is not something that we, there's some of you who are hungry right now and you're thinking to yourself, get done, pastor. There's pecan sandies down in the fellowship hall and I want me some. Because being, uh, being hungry is uncomfortable, but imagine if it's all the time. And there's some of you who know that story well. It's not just hard. It breaks you. But I actually think there's more here than just that physical hunger. I think that it is a hunger of spirit, a hunger for relationship, a hunger that is emotional. And all of us know that hunger very well. We have it because a good sign of us having it is that we try to fill it. And we've all tried to fill our hunger in our own unique ways. Some of you have pursued substances and addictions to fulfill your hunger for peace, uh, your hunger for this to be over, your hunger to not feel any more pain. And so you've tried to numb that with things. Others of you have seeked to fulfill your hunger of spirit through relationships. You've moved from relationship to relationship or bed to bed, seeking to have that hole within you filled because, man, if someone would only love me, that hunger would go away and that spot, that hole would be filled. Some of you even have come to the point of getting married in order to fulfill that hunger and you've discovered that it hasn't done it. Maybe I know that there are some who have even had children for the purpose of trying to fill that hunger or traveling all over the world to fulfill that hunger through experience and you know that it never ever goes, oh, maybe for a little while, it'll go away. But it always comes back. That hunger continues. That hunger doesn't get fulfilled in any other way except being filled through God. And God is saying to those who are hungry, I've made a way for your hunger and thirst to be fulfilled. Second story begins at verse 10. Some sat in darkness in utter darkness. Prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled. And there was no one to help. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Certainly we get this image of people in jail and we think, oh, these are people in jail. Yeah, they're trapped. And those who know anything about prisons and prison ministry, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking just that there are people there who haven't seen freedom in many, many decades. Some of you know those sorts of people and you know the loss of self, a loss of soul, a loss of hope. Here than that. Feel that same trappedness. 
We feel that being trapped in this sort of phrase. I did it before, but I'm never ever going to do it again. I promise this time. Anyone ever said that? I'm not going to drink again. I promise this time. This time, I'm really going to do it. I'm not going to use this time. I'm not going to play a game on my phone and waste another hour and a half. That's like one of the new addictions, right? But it still has that same power in us. I'm not going to go to that website and do that thing. I'm going to stop this time for real. I'm not going to say that thing to this person. Oh, the time will come and I'm just going to be different this time. But the problem is we say it's going to be different, but what happens? It reels us in again. Because we have handcuffs on our hands. And we're trapped We can't get out of this behavior that consumes us. And every time it consumes us, it brings a new round of pain and hurt and lostness and hopelessness and frustration. Why can't I just stop? And to that, God speaks. He says, there is a place. It's not the desert in the first story. It's not the jail, the second story. It's my city. Come, live in freedom. Third story begins at verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. These are people who are living in consequence. They are living with the consequence of what? What do we hear? We hear it in verse 17. Some are fools and suffered affliction. Why? Because of their sin. Sin has consequence. In case you weren't aware of that, sin has consequence, right? If you drink and are a drunkard, there will be consequence. You will probably have issues with your liver later on. If you are an adulterer and step out on your spouse you will have fractured relationship. If you lie, people will not trust you. If you steal, you might go to jail. If then, there is consequence. And the problem that this psalm is speaking to is that this consequence has overwhelmed the victims of their own sin. And they feel absolutely powerless. Yes, I did this. And now, yes, I stepped out on my spouse. And now I can't get my marriage back. Yeah, I drank and I'm going to die. 
Yes, I used harsh words with a lot of people. No, no one wants to be my friend. It's consequence. And the problem is that when we stand in this spot of consequence, we long to go back. We wish we could go back and fix what was before, change our behavior so that that doesn't happen, so this won't happen anymore. But the reality of it is, this has happened, and I can't fix it. And it hurts me. And I want it to be different I want it to be more. I want to have hope again. I want to have life again. But because of my foolishness before, I'm stuck. I need to be in a different place. Then there's the fourth story, verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. And his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt in the assembly of the people. And praise him in the councils of the elders. Now notice, where does this story take place? It takes place on the sea. Especially in the Old Testament, the sea is always a symbol. Always. It is a place of chaos. When you hear about even the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is an unknown scary place. The fact that Jesus walked on water has the symbolism of Jesus having victory over chaos. It cannot take him. So when we hear about the sea, we hear about people in chaos. And we are hearing about people, read it, read it closely again, who did no sin. These were people who did nothing wrong. It says in there they staggered like drunkards. It does not say that they were drunkards. It says, however, that they went out on the sea. And when they got to see, they saw the wonders of God. The problem is, is that the wonders that they were introduced to had first names. Like Katrina. Hurricanes, tempests, storms. And the storms came, and the waves came up, the winds, winds blew, the rain crashed. Everything, all of a sudden in their lives, was tossed about through no behavior of their own, they had to deal with the consequence. These are people who are stuck in the storms of life that they have no control over them because they didn't start them to begin with. I have that in my life. It's called divorce. My parents. I did nothing to cause my parents' divorce. Nothing. Nothing I could do. But all of a sudden, blew in the phone call came and I'll tell you what the ship was at the 
top of the wave and the bottom of the wave, it seemed in the same second. My heart was torn. Our family was crushed in so many waves. And we had done nothing to cause it. For some of you, that storm is cancer or illness. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's something that somebody did to you that you couldn't stop them from doing. Something that somebody said to you as a child or even as an adult that still to this day you couldn't stop their mouth from forming the words and now you can't stop your heart from bleeding from the wound. You're stuck. Stuck in the storm. There's nothing you can do. How do you get out of a storm that you didn't make to begin with? Where do we go? Safe harbor. And God's city is a seaside town. A place where he dwells. Each of these stories, each of them, each are about people who are lost. Each of them are in trouble. Each of these people are longing for home. You'll notice it's the desert. It's the jail. It's stuck in the consequence. It's stuck on the sea. These are all places except for the third. They're actual geographic places. And God says, if you want to get out of that place, come to a new place. My place. Come on over. My city. The place where I dwell. And these people each knew it. They knew what, that they were lost. They knew they were in trouble. They knew they were stuck. So they all did one thing. Remember what I said at the beginning about repetition in the text being important? Let's look. Let's look at verse 6. Let's read that together. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 13, we're going to read it aloud together. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. Remember what we said about repetition, right? Repetition's important. Antenna go up, bing! What's God saying to me here? What is the word's power in my life here? The f- reality is that each of these people were trapped. Trapped in, in the prison. Prison of their own behavior. Pra- trapped in the hunger that consumed them that they couldn't fulfill. Trapped in the consequence of their own decisions. Trapped in the storms that were not of their own making. And in the midst of all of that, they acknowledged one thing. I can't fix this. I can't change this. This is out of my control. I've tried to fix it. It doesn't work. I need something. Lord God, save me. A cry out. And I believe that when we get that image, it is not simply 
a whisper. Maybe it has, maybe a whisper is a part of it. But it comes to this full body, full heart, full mind saying, I am lost. And I can't do anything, Lord. Please come. Come and make this new and fix this because it's, it's going to kill me. Not just my body, but my soul and my heart. Cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So how do we, how do we think about all this? Okay, we want to cry out, but, but let me give you this key verse. And these two key verses, you're going to read them, and you're going to think, what are we talking about here? But there's a reason why. first one is 41. We didn't talk about the end of the text. Let me quickly do that last section. The last section is actually this really interesting juxtaposition. We start out with all the good stuff. That begins at verse 35. Read with me there. He turned the desert into pools of water. Okay, that's a good thing, I think, right? The parched ground into flowing springs. Hey, flowing springs, that sounds good. He brought the hungry to live and they founded what? A city where they could settle. So this sounds good. God's settling them in a city. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. Good harvest. Positive, right? He blessed them. God's blessing is a good thing. And their numbers greatly increased. And he did not let their herds diminish. And the positive continues. Then their numbers decreased. And then they were humbled. By oppression, calamity, it was all good. What happened now? They came over on the other side into life. All the good stuff was there, but now how are you going to live when stuff gets hard? He who pours contempt on nobles and made them wander in a trackless waste. That doesn't sound very fun. And then we get this verse. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. So if things are bad, right, which do you want to be? Do you want to be the nobles or do you want to be the needy? Which one do you want to be? Someone tell me. Needy, right? Okay, simple, right? How many of you are needy? Couple hands. So what you're telling me by not putting up your hand, and maybe it's a mental hand that I didn't see, I understand. But maybe what you're telling me is, no, I would rather not be the needy person. Because it's funny, that's actually how most of us live, right? We don't acknowledge before anyone else, before God, that we are needy. We are stubborn people who think to ourselves, we can fix this, right? You ever seen that sign? Millions of men will die every year from stubbornness. And the whole thing is about them not being willing to go get a colonoscopy. Why? Because nothing's wrong. And somebody, of course, in graffiti on the bottom says, no, we won't. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) We are stubborn. We can do this. I can fix this. And I don't want anyone else to know. Some of you are sitting there in this place right now and you look good, more or less, on the outside. Everything's together. And inside, you are a blazing addict who can't get any level of control. But you're not going to tell me 
then you're certainly not going to tell any of these people. And some of you who are holding hands in the pew with your spouse know what it was like to have a really bad Friday night where you screamed at each other. But no one else can know. No one else can dig deep. Skin deep, that's all. You can't come into here because as broken as it is, I don't want anyone else to fix me but me. But, but me. I'm not needy. But we hear in the text that acknowledging our need gains us the blessing of God. So then, how do you acknowledge your need? Repetition is important. What gets repeated about the people who had need? What did they do? They cried out. Now, folks, I don't know what your cry out is. Maybe your cry out is coming up to me and Don Bierman standing at the front as elders at the end of this service, and you're saying, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I'm lost, I'm tossed about, I need help. Can you cry out to God with me? We're standing right here, and we would love to be the person who cries out together in voice with you to the Lord. Or maybe... Your cry out is calling the office this week to come sit down with me or Pastor Will or somebody else who can help you understand what it means to cry out to God. But I want you to cry out well. I want you to cry out in a way that can bring you into God's presence. So thus, we need to talk about key verse 2. What is key verse 2? Key verse 2, you missed it. I almost guarantee you because it's verse 7 and the first time you read it, you didn't catch it. I expect. He led them by what? A straight way to a city where they could settle. Now remember I said repetition turns your antenna on? When you hear a phrase like a straight way, your antenna should go on as well. Bing, 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 bing. Why? Because a straight way follows exactly, it's almost the same verbiage as a narrow way. Light bulb going on? Jesus is showing himself in Psalm 107. All of a sudden, we see Jesus. And what is Jesus? Jesus is a straight way to what? The city. The city of God's presence. You want to come into a place where God dwells. You want to come into the place where there is not the chaos that tosses you about without control. You want to come into a place where there is not a hunger to fulfill your need through any other way. You want to come to a place where the consequences do not overwhelm you anymore. You want to come to a place, a place and a space where you are not trapped then you come to the city of God through Jesus Christ. And what do you do? You cry out, Jesus! I long to be delivered. I am so sick and tired of getting kicked around, of being stupid and foolish and going my own way. I'm so tired of being sucked in by this addiction yet again. I am so sick of this pain. 
I want it to end. Jesus, come. Make a straight way. Please, make a straight way so I can come to you and this can end. And I can know what your love and your presence is all about. You want to come into the city of God. There is a straight way. Cry out to Jesus. Now, here's a phrase that God gave me this morning that I believe is for somebody and thus I'm going to be faithful in sharing it with you. Um, the phrase is simply this. City of God is not a vacation spot. It's our home that we live in every moment. I was just in Michigan. Okay, went to Michigan, was there for my daughter's graduation and some other stuff we were doing. And right now, this last weekend, Michigan is absolutely gorgeous. It really is. You go there, there is green grass growing like an inch a minute. It just, guys are mowing like 24 hours a day to keep up because the grass is just so green. Flowers and trees are in bloom and birds are tweeting and angels are singing. It's, it's gorgeous. They can go to the lake and go on the lake now because the water's like 50 degrees and that's balmy. And you, you can, you, outdoors is now open to you and the flies aren't there yet. There's not many flies yet so you can be outdoors as much as you want. It was perfect weather and 72, 73 degrees with no humidity. And you're thinking, oh man, this would be a great place to live but I know better. <laughs> Because I know that in August, you know how you sweat? Like this. That's all you do. You just do that. I sweat. It's like 99% humidity. And you sweat all the time. And not all, then you get, oh, then you get to my favorite month, February. February's great. You want to punch yourself in the face to see light bulbs go off so you can see something bright. You haven't seen the sun in 60 days. And then you got to get up every morning, like eight, nine mornings in a row. Start up your snowblower and do your whole driveway and do all the sidewalks every morning for eight days. Not that it's personally happening to me and I'm still wounded. <laughs> Michigan is a great place to go on vacation, but I wouldn't want to live there. And the problem is, is that there are people who will say something like, I tried me some Jesus, but he didn't work. And they treat Jesus like he's a little bit of a vacation spot that you go to visit, but when the weather changes and life comes and stuff gets hard and you give up on him, he can't really fix it. He can't really be with me. He can't really love me because all this stuff is there. That's treating Jesus like a vacation spot. Let's dwell. Let's live. Let's make our tabernacle as Christ made his tabernacle with us. Let's make our place to live with God in every moment of every day. Here's the promise. The storms aren't going to stop. There's still going to be storms. The only thing is, is you're not alone in them. You're with the creator of the universe. That's not a bad place to be. You're going to be in the consequence of your sin. You don't all of a sudden stop having a hardened liver because Jesus shows up. Maybe he'll do it miraculously. It's possible. 
But probably not. And if he doesn't, it doesn't mean that he isn't real. It simply means that he is now with you in that journey saying, I love you no matter what. And even if you and I are trapped in those places of addiction, God is there with you saying, I love you. Even though you're broken and you're messed up, I still love you. Cry out to me and I will be with you in this. Even in our hunger and our thirst, when we have them and temptations that come along with them, God says, I am with you. Come, eat the bread of life. How much did we talk about bread? Come eat the bread. and You will never hunger anymore. Come drink the cup. You will never thirst her any longer. Friends, I don't know about you, but I, I want to I live. I want to live in the best spot that I can possibly live in. I want to live the life that is most full. The life with the most opportunity to see beauty and joy and hope and purpose. That means I got to get to the right spot to live. Spots the city of God. Come, let's dwell there together. Let's pray. You have made a straight way for us, O God, Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. We cry out unto you in our distress, in our trouble, in our affliction, in our addiction, in our trappedness, in our consequence of sin, in the storm of life. We cry out to you, oh God, come, save us, redeem us. Come, be present. Come, Lord, come do what we can't. Come redeem us. And Lord, in that redeeming, may we know that we are then in your presence. We are a part of your city because your spirit is in us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will never, ever let us go. And we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.